Hello, good afternoon. Very Hi. formal. Yeah. Um, how are you today? Good. Yeah, good. Good. Ex good. You? Ex yeah, not bad. Thank you. Um, and hello to anybody who is watching. Um, my name is Shell, and um, I am the founder of the community We Recover Loudly. Um, which is a community of support for people who are either in recovery, looking to go into recovery um, for the hospitality industry. Um, today, for ah, oh, there he is. We've got um, it's Addiction Awareness Week, um, which is basically, you know, a week where we really kind of think about what it's like to not only have an addiction but to work with people in addiction and how to support them and you know how we can be preventative and all of that and that's why I, I called this live <laughs> um, and I'm really grateful that you both joined but for those people who have no idea who either of you are um, would you like to introduce yourselves who would like to go first Chris can go first <laughs> Okay, thank you. Um, so my... before beauty. <laughs> Every time I see you, you get younger and younger, Chief. I don't know how you do it. It's that Dubai um, living. Yeah, Dubai living. Oh, it's the no. life of uh, life of alcohol and drug free free life. Free. Actually, reverses, sure. reverses your uh, your youthful looks or increases your youthful looks. Thank you. Um, so my name is Chris Hall. I'm the founder of the Burnt Chef Project. Uh, and I'm very, very pleased to be supporting Michelle with We Recover Loudly, which is an absolutely fantastic organization and um, well overdue in our sector to have such a prominent voice representing uh, those who have struggled and are struggling with uh, addictions within an industry that uh, has normalized uh, addictions quite massively. So thank you for having me. Very welcome. Over to you, Chef. So um, my name's Adam Simmons, <laughs> and um, yeah, I've been a chef for over 38 years now. Um, I've obviously, as people may or may not know, have had my difficulties with addiction and mental health. So, so yeah, I'm very grateful to be here to talk about my struggles as well as, you know, to see if it's all about helping people, right, and saying that there's, there's a way out and that there is something that can be done with hard work and determination. And I think that's that's ultimately where I come from. So, so yeah, thank you so much for asking me. Oh, no, thank you very much for coming and for sharing your story. You know, I decided to start the, um, the community We Recover Loudly and have that as the name of it for the exact reason you've just shared. You know, we know it's happening in our industry. We also know that there are people in recovery in our industry. But because of that stigma, which is something you talk a lot about um, when it comes to mental health, Chris, because of that stigma, because of that shame, people are almost as resonant to kind of stand up and say, hey, I'm recovered, as they are to say, hey, I'm struggling. Um, so it's really powerful that, you, uh, that you're that you using your voice to, like you said, help people get that identification. Um, oh, we lost Adam, but that's all right, because I was about to ask Chris a question. Chris, um, you started the Burnt Chef specifically uh, looking at putting in that support for mental health in the hospitality industry. And, you know, we've kind of gotten to a stage now when we talk about mental health in hospitality, you know, Burnt Chef comes out, it's the first thing that people think about. But I found when it came to addiction, 
that there was slightly more of a hands-off approach from businesses. And I was wondering with your experience, you know, in that mental health field, how have you found, has there been a change with the way people are looking at addiction or, you know, that correlation between it not being, is it a mental health disorder? Isn't it, you know, can't you just, where's your willpower guys, you know? Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting one because it's almost completely separate. Um, you know, we, we cover it in our training and it's a, it always feels a little bit odd because when we ask people what they've done previously when it comes down to someone who may be struggling, I mean, we've heard harrowing stories of those who are struggling with, um, you know, use of drugs or alcohol. Um, and loss of employment is one of the biggest things, you know, as often, oh, what do we do if someone's struggling with addiction? Well, we fire them. That's, you know, that's what we do. And yes, whilst there's a legal grounds for, for misconduct on that front, we're just kicking the can down the road. So it's 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 been a it's been an interesting one. Um there's a lot of conversation. We have a lot of conversations about depression and anxiety and um, certain disorders. Um, but addiction, no one really knows how to handle it because uh, and I, I get where they're coming from from a uh, organization point of view, because ultimately you can only help someone with addiction they want to be helped and if they want to recover and, and they want to go down that journey and you can't sort of twist their arms behind their back and push them against the wall and say like you need to get help now because it just doesn't it just doesn't work and, and historically that, that it's never worked um so i think that there's perhaps a little bit of um fear's perhaps not the right word but people feel like their hands are tied behind their back a little bit and so if they don't talk about it they don't have to deal with it right yeah, I mean, one of the things that we've been posting um, online um, to promote this live has been a comment that you made, Adam, in uh, the podcast that we recorded um, for season one of We Recover Loudly, which is uh, the number one downloaded podcast episode season one. Just saying, guys, you beat Gizzy Erskine, bless her. <laughs> Love you though, Gizzy. Um, and that comment was um about you know people not why did people not call me out why didn't someone come up to me and say something and the comments from other people have been quite lively about that mm -hmm. you know well exactly a bit like Chris said it's like well where do you start you know is it 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 almost feels with addiction versus mental health that it's an us problem versus a there's we can embrace you we can have that community and all of that you know I just wondered if you had anything kind of to say on that in terms of what you think we could be doing in those situations to help people well I think like I mentioned about training there needs to be more awareness from from anybody from a, from an outside point of view of how to approach somebody about an issue that they think that they have you can only it's an assumption right until you uh, or unless you have hard facts and i think if you have an assumption it's better to approach it in a in a way that you're not going in like a bull in a china shop because it don't work and that wouldn't have worked for me but what it is is about sowing a seed in my opinion and ultimately that's i put you know especially with my relapse somebody said to me about you know, we know what's going on. They knew, and I just surrendered and said yes. But that's because they knew that I was in. I was in too deep in my um, relapse. Right in the very beginning, nobody, people said that they knew, and I've had people reach out <coughs> since promoting this today, 
about we knew but we didn't say anything why we didn't say anything because and then one guy or one chef said to me we knew it was going on so we just jumped on the bandwagon as well really that's it's like that hit home for me because it's like fuck did they did, were they doing that because i was doing it and they knew that i was doing it and they thought it was acceptable to just go on the train that's terrible and that mm. that for me was quite painful to hear but that's the reality i guess we all have a we all have our own choices right we can all make our choices and say yes or no we can continue with this or no we can't and i think it's a fine line it's a very fine line of how you approach it yeah. but that's where the training for me comes in on, on how to handle those situations absolutely and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that um just a little bit later on but i mean let's kind of just pull it right down to basics you know our industry is an incredible industry i love it i couldn't imagine working for any other industry i don't think any other industry would have me to be honest let's be clear um, <laughs> um and i just i do i think it's a wonderful industry we have a huge problem with substance abuse and with alcoholism and with other addictions. I'm actually doing um, a chat on Friday about energy drink addiction and caffeine addiction. We've got vaping, we've got nicotine, you know, this is addiction awareness week. And when we actually look at the industry in terms of all of those things, work addiction, I was addicted to work before I was addicted to anything else. You know, I was a workaholic, which feels like something that you would be rewarded for, like, oh God, not another workaholic. And it destroyed my life nearly because it was the, I was so singly focused. And when I was coming up with the title for this live, I went on to chat GBT, put in some keywords about what I wanted to talk to. And it came out with this, the devastating menace of substance abuse. And I thought, God, that's a bit much, isn't it? But actually, it's just so big in our industry. And I don't know, sometimes it feels too big to even start. But I mean, for you, was it always something that you saw as part of, you know, your everyday in the industry? I mean, Chris, you come a bit from a slightly different angle because you were sales and stuff. Is there anything that you ever had an awareness of? So I used to, um, when I was working and managing sales teams, I used to work in bars and nightclubs in Bournemouth. So I was very much around, um, you know, and this was on top of a full-time job as well, may I add. So, you know, you'd start at six o'clock in the evening shift and work through to three o'clock in the morning after doing a nine to five as well. So for, this is going to sound really, really naive, but in my experience, drug use in my two years of working just never happened for, for front of, like for me, it wasn't ever used as a driver, but then I'd never really um, experienced a lot of drug or, or drug use prior to that point so it wasn't anything i knew that i had access to i guess if i did it probably would have been different um alcohol use was you know yes it was definitely like you know you would drink three or four pints after work and then you'd end up um cashing in your tips you know you used to get people to buy you bottles and i remember one christmas i went in with a holdall to collect all of the all of the bottles that I'd managed to you know managed to purchase and and I guess for that my time in life you know young young sort of early twenties just under twenty it was it was fitting right it was it was fun but that was also just hospitality and that's what you'd come across and 
you know, then I started working with chefs and it, things like uh, sweat points. You know, you you work really, really hard, really hard in a really hot environment, and you would see drinks being offered up, but the drinks weren't water; they were, you know, they were alcohol, which isn't going to help you. And and I'm pleased to say that that was sort of 12, 13 years ago, and things have <laughs> things have started to change with that, and and they have changed quite successfully, I think, but we've managed to change the culture to a certain degree, but what we haven't managed to do is to support those who, who were struggling in the first place, who, who were there before the changes and who are now having to carry on um, with that secret effectively because it's no longer something that was celebrated within the workplace. So that's, that's from my experience. As I said, there was perhaps a little bit of naivety there, but as I, as I grew up, and I started experiencing quite um, a lot higher levels of stress. Those same seeking behaviors, you know, those those performance related behaviors, um, even now, like even now, you know, you're tired. So I'll smash down a couple of cups of coffee thinking mm-hmm. I need this. Oh, Adam, are you OK? <laughs> <laughs> it's not like it's so dramatic. Hello, I loved it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, you speak, smash down a load of coffees or, you know, you perhaps just, you work even harder for longer hours just because it's, it, you've got to keep going, you've got to keep going. So the addiction to stress is something that I'm also quite curious about, that that adrenaline rush and that constant drive. Mm. Um, but yeah, that, that's my that's my personal experience of it. It's interesting you actually said about the addiction to stress. Um, and I was wondering actually... Um, what you think about this, Adam? Uh, I read a, a wonderful blog about chefs being addicted to kitchens. So it's not that you're addicted to a substance, but you're actually addicted to being in a kitchen in terms of that adrenaline, that rush. And, um, you know, you often see chefs being like, you know, I'm, I'm there until I'm not like that. This is me. I'm, did you ever experience an addiction to a kitchen? Is this one I we've think, not done yet? No, I think. I, I think throughout my career it's been like that, especially when I was a head chef or an exec and we were striving for accolades because that was that was what we did, right? And I was there from morning to night and it was just part of what, but maybe that was part of what I had to do in order what I felt I had to do, not what I needed to do, if that makes sense. But I think the stress thing, as Chris said, you do become, it's a driver, right? And the adrenaline that you get from that and from the, from having a good service or even a bad service, I think is always going to be there. That's just, that's the environment that we work in is stressful. It is, there's no two ways about it. And I think, you know, if you weren't addicted to that, then you wouldn't be doing it because it's, it can be, it's very tiring sometimes. And especially as I've got older, it's like, dear, oh dear. Why am I doing this? Yeah, I mean, supermodels and chef, you don't see them after 30. What are you doing? (laughs) So I think I think there is an element of that for sure, but I think mm. also that comes down to managing expectations of what you want and what <coughs> you, want. you know. And I think the times have moved on from that now, and I think they needed to move on from that. They're not in every not in every sense, but they are changing, or I believe they're changing. Um, so yeah. Sorry, it was just there was a, a quote I found across. So um, there's a study that I'll share with you, um, Michelle, that um, I was lucky enough to meet the professors actually in Bournemouth uh, fairly recently. Um, and they've done a whole study on drug and alcohol use uh, within uh, specifically within kitchens and less front of house. But they found a quote in here 
from Anthony Bourdain, which I thought was quite interesting. And it's commented that a chef never shows up late, never calls in sick and works through pain and injury. Now, if you're seeing that set as a uh, as a prerequisite from a respected individual, and Anthony Bourdain was fantastic, don't get me wrong. But if you're seeing that, and that's the expectations that we have upon our workforce, then is it any wonder why you do become perhaps comfortable in that kitchen and culture become almost institutionalized to it as well as then looking for performance boosting uh, substances and um, opportunities to be able to continue to be that 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 reliable dependable high-performing individual yeah i mean let's be honest there's also ego in there as well right Mm. there's ego but I, i mean our industry though it applauds that those dysfunctional behaviors you know we've got to be one of the only industries where you get a pat on the back if you have zero boundaries no sense of balance <laughs> um that you put everything into you know you literally you leave nothing behind and you get promoted mm. and i think earlier i have been mean, institutionalized i think that's a a scary but brilliant word because I think earlier in the conversation when there was you know things are changing in that I think that we're in danger of thinking things are changing but they're not because that institutionalization there's a nice long one for the Scrabble books and that institutionalization and that association of like let's imagine the industry all of these things that we get addicted to are gone so we're not allowed caffeine we're not allowed smoking no alcohol no drugs let's take that away from the industry just you know for a week nothing would open well i'm doing all right (laughs) (laughs) we'd all just be at adams which i know look i know this is a very flippant thing for me to be saying to imagine but you know if it's not we're really like run i mean what somebody has just popped in a comment you know those dysfunctional behaviors you're more likely to be praised for being driven i mean that's a that's very true i mean how about adam did you find even though your behavior was incredibly dysfunctional you know your drug taking and again you've been super duper honest about that and i really appreciate about having to go in the bathroom have a line come back out look at your chef going fuck knows what i'm doing right now sorry for swearing everybody just realized it was pre nine (laughs) o'clock um you know we, you you talked about how you were praised for being the chef that was pushing through what did that really make the whole what you were behaving versus the rewards you were getting quite a difficult thing to kind of justify almost because it's kind of justifying your poor behavior in a way yes it go, it went hand in hand right because i was there all the time and i was pr- producing what needed to be produced for the business and I suppose for myself with the restaurants, then it went hand, it did go hand in hand. But then by the same token, I was constantly battling with myself uh, with the addiction side of it. And the addiction side of it, as I mentioned, or as I've said before, mm-hmm. really started to escalate, I suppose. Well, when I had the pop-up, but looking back at it now and after doing the, the podcast with you, you look at it and say, well, actually, did it start? It was. It got to a very bad stage at that point. But before that, I was on and off for sure. And and you, I don't know. It's it's tough because 
when I was doing it, I was that was what was controlling me. It wasn't there was nothing else controlling me to be to be fair. But I was able to what I thought I what I thought was I was able to perform better than I better than I thought I could. Whereas now it's not I perform better now a hundred percent and I deal with things a lot better. Um, but at the time I thought as I said before, I was being more creative, I was this, I was that. But then there were situations where I was put into situations where it's like, well, how am I going to get out of this as far as what was expected of me from an employer, employee, sorry, employer, employee, whatever. I think because then it was because you'd set those those markers of that you could do this, this and this within like I could do a 20 hour day or there's times when I work all day, all night and all day. Well, that's just fucking mental. It's just like how, you know, it's just the most bizarre when you look back at it, but I wanted to achieve stuff. But the more you did, the more they wanted. The more they wanted, the more you gave. And it was on this, that was how it worked for me. And it was just like a spiral. And then that's when I suppose I started to dibble, dabble, dibble in, in that drug taking thing. And then it just went on from there over a number of years. So, mm. um, but yeah. I think, I mean, Chris, you must come across this a lot with the paces that you, you know, that Bert Chef go into, like, um adam's just explained you know our industry we give we give we give we don't get patted on the back necessarily and said thank you that's enough it's like a case of like but also we not only do we we attract people who love that kind of energy that's why we love the industry we're the kind of people that you know we want to be pushed beyond our limits and then be the next day go great that's i got to there today where am i going to get to the next time but the reaction and the uh, the fallout from that for not for everybody but for some is then obviously what then you see you know stress burnout the burnt chef you know is it is there anything that we can do as an industry or what can we do as an industry that like we said celebrates people pushing themselves beyond limits and therefore then we start using substances like myself and adam did you know and not going to talk about blame here and I, I have got a question about responsibility for later on but what can we do you know we've got we're almost in a catch-22 we want you to do all of these things but we also don't want you to burn out <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah it's a it's a challenging one and if it was easy we would have done it by now and you know organizations like yourself podcast opening up dialogue is yeah, a fantastic way of getting more awareness and more conversation generated around this subject matter which is vitally important i think we've got a couple of different challenges to tackle and each one will take their own time uh, a great friend of mine who used to look a lot older than he does now um strangely um once said it's like turning a cruise liner and not a dinghy and he's laughing because when we spoke, I think about three and a half, four years ago, that was something I went, fucking hell, mate, that's really decent. Um, and I still how times have changed. How times have changed. But interestingly, so we've got a generational shift that needs to happen. We've got a mindset shift of those who have worked to excess, who have become comfortable with their coping mechanisms or even comfortable you know perhaps they are just naturally a lot more resilient and are able to cope with the 70 80 and 90 hour weeks the customer abuse whatever it might be and they're perhaps you know of that mindset of there is no issue here mm. you've also then got a cultural 
issue, which is very much around promotion and celebration of certain behaviors and certain mm. processes. Um, and perhaps, you know, then there's a, then there's a cultural issue with regards to making sure that things like policies and signposting and support and education is, is correct as well, which again is no quick fix. And then on top of that, so you've got your, your generational gap. You've also got your cultural gap. And then we've also got the big, big glaringly obvious thing, which is a supply and demand mm. equilibrium that hasn't been met for years. And it's getting steadily worse because we haven't addressed the first two soon enough. So you have now operators doing whatever they can do to survive because it is flipping tough out there and operators are struggling. Oh, yeah in the face of adversity in terms of rising costs, uh, changing of consumer behavior, and also now not enough team members to be able to cope with those peaks and troughs that are becoming more varied by the day, which then puts additional pressures on those who are left, which then gets them seeking into A, other careers, or B, ways of being able to sustain. So is there a quick solution? Unfortunately not. Um, but this is where as an industry, we need to collaborate, we need to make sure that there are the right supportive mechanisms, we need to educate from the ground upwards and the top down, you know, organisations need to understand that if they do put too much pressure on upon people, and they find that someone is turning up to work drunk, or they are using drugs, that we have a responsibility as an industry to recognize that that person is doing so not always there are external factors as well that we you know we have to be very mindful of but we have to recognize that we have a a part to play in adjusting that workplace environment so that those no longer become uh, needed or that recovery is facilitated and i think that's that's the thing that moment many operators are going to have their hands tied behind their back because they're like, we can't give people the easy shifts because we need them on the hard shifts. We're not able to facilitate time off work to go to CA or AA or to go visit the doctors because we need them within the business. And I think until we can start to recognize that the sooner we do facilitate those, those changes and those improvements and those recoveries and that support, the more likelihood our business has of survival long term. Yeah. I mean, you've said the R word there, and I did as well, responsibility. It's a, it's a, both Adam and I, we're in a program, um, a 12-step program, and it's what's worked for us. There are lots of different ways to become sober, including smart recovery, talk to GP, all of that stuff. Um, but for us, the 12-step program is what's worked for us just for today. Um we talk about responsibility and as part of that program, you know, we take a lot of ownership as to why we decided to do the things that we did. And it's a really beautiful therapeutic kind of way of looking at your behaviors and all of that. However, is there, does the hospitality industry, is there some responsibility? Is it, in, does it even matter? But does there need to be a bit more of responsibility and accountability from the industry for creating the storm that we are now in with the menace of substance abuse does it even matter who's responsible is it the haste of like well do you know what it doesn't matter where it started we need to change or I mean for you Adam do you did if you gone through those processes of thinking like well I'm only this way because of the industry because of this I, I mean I know I did in the beginning 
I was very much like that character Andy in Boiling Point, you know, in, in the series where he's sat there with his beer going, I haven't even got a restaurant, it's all your fault, that bitterness and that. I mean, where, where do you stand on that when it comes to responsibility? There's been a lot of bitterness, but you can't, it's, it's difficult. And I've thought about this long and hard over the time that I've been in recovery and not and all of everything else that I've gone through. And I think it's easy to blame the industry, but it's, a, like I said before, it's, everybody has a choice, right? And we can have a choice. It comes down to <clears throat> addiction. You don't wake up one day and think I'm going to be an addict, do you? You don't. Yes, there are contributing factors, but <clears throat> through doing the 12-step program, and looking at myself, it was all related around myself. Yes, I'd look at stuff and say, well, why have they got this and I haven't? Why is this? Why is that? I could do that all day long, but it's down to, you know, why am I an addict and why is that person not? Why do I have to do this and why, you know? I think it, that, that for me, that came down to me as who I was as an individual. I can't necessarily blame the industry per se, but yes, it has a responsibility to and it has a responsibility for sure. And what I mean by that is that rather than, as Chris touched on right at the very beginning, you can't just cut people loose, kick them down a curve and just wash your hands of them because that's not right. And that's that's where we as an industry are so irresponsible. And I and I strongly believe that. Mm-hmm. And I've and I've I've had the interviews and I said, what happens if you if you, somebody is in that situation? Would you cut them loose or not? If they say cut them loose, I don't want to work there. Because that's not that's not help, and because I've been in that situation, because it's that you know, and I've lo- I've nearly lost jobs in relapse because of that, or mm. because I was unreliable and stuff. And I'm again, I'm sure people knew what was going on because I come in and my eyes would be wide open, and it's just like okay, you can't hide it, but yet mm. they were quite happy just to leave me to get on with it, which is that's where the responsibility for our industry lies is that. You can't just wash it under the under the table and you can't just shut your eyes and say it's not going on because it is going mm. on. And that's where we need to stand up and actually say, what do we need to do in order to help people? And that's that's my honest opinion. I wanted oh yeah, I'll just do a little mini applause. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, Chris, have you got anything to add to that? I mean, that was yeah, that's that's exactly what I believe. So I come at this from from both sides. I, you know, we work with C-suite operators and we understand the daily challenges of running businesses and managers. And we also work with the individuals who are struggling as well. So it's 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 challenging for me because, you know, on one hand, we can be quite righteous and say that if, if someone's got a drug problem or an alcohol problem or an addiction problem of any kind, then they should remain employed and we should provide them with the support, et cetera, which is what we would expect to see from a great employer. But also at the same time, on the other hand, what happens if that person doesn't want help and that's having an impact on your livelihood and that's putting additional pressures on the rest of your team. You know, there's this, there's this, it's a really, really challenging subject because if it's something like, depression or anxiety for example in my experience firstly getting someone to speak about it is is the challenge and the stigma but then ultimately once they realize they're unwell uh nine times out of ten they want to get help they don't want to be depressed they don't want to feel 
highly anxious, they want to recover and they want to get better. When we're talking about addictions, again, from my experience, you can insist that someone gets help, but they might not necessarily want to get better. They might not necessarily be at that stage, no? Yeah, and I'm like, because it's like, I get it, I understand that. But it's, but surely as a, as somebody has a moral, yes, and I, you know, again, I can only speak for myself. When I relapsed, I wasn't ready to, I wasn't, in that time I had sobriety. Ultimately, I wasn't ready to surrender. That's clear because I relapsed and my relapse went on for time. But you, you're right, Chris, in that, that you have to want to get help yourself for sure. But somebody needs to give you that hand to say, here you go. That's the issue is that so many people, in my opinion, don't give that hand. And that's, that's ultimately where it lies. Yes. If somebody constantly, and I'm, and I'm, I, I, I really struggle with this is that if somebody doesn't want to get help, where'd you go? (laughs) That's a big problem. You know? Mm. Sorry, just from, just from that perspective, uh, Yes, the, that greater awareness of, of support mechanisms is right. And, and But it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that bearing in mind the journey that you've been on and the recovery steps that you've taken, and, and yet you say, if someone comes to me and needs help, I don't know where to go. Like, it, it's, it's, it's no, just it shows. Like I don't know where to go if somebody doesn't want to get help and they constantly uh, keep. That's what I mean. And I yeah, get quite yeah. emotional about that, as you can see. Because it's mm. it's it's like ultimately that becomes a big problem, and it's like how do you? I, I that's where I have a difficulty is that if somebody does, how, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do better to help that person? But I come at it from an angle of of that of who I am now and what I was like, and that's that's really it's really tough. Mm. I I thought I was when you just said um Chris you're explaining about people with mental health challenges um depression anxiety and they realize that they're unwell and when they realize they're unwell they'll accept help and I think maybe one of the challenges is is that people don't look at addiction as being being unwell as being a disease because the challenge is because it's around something that other people do and it's around something that you know it's something that other people do in society in terms of drinking and in our industry drinking to excess and add into that drug taking to excess although there's you know instead of looking at that person who is like me absolutely destroyed absolutely nothing I had by the time I got fired from my job um I which sounds really strange, but I wasn't wearing makeup anymore, which is a big thing for me. It was a real big red flag. You know, suddenly I'm not wearing makeup when I always had quite a lot of pride in the way I looked. Um, I'd lost weight. I wasn't showering. Um, I was so like, all I was so anxious. I was so on, on, you never mind fight or flight. I was ready at any point. I was so unwell, so unwell. Like I was hallucinating because I was so burnt out because you know the reason I was drinking and taking drugs is because of the how burnt out I was um it was I was clearly unwell but because 
there were substances involved, because there was alcohol involved, see you later. And I think maybe that's one of the big things that we need to start looking at rather than thinking of, because I felt like I've shared many a time, like a failure. I'd failed as being the type of person who can use and drink and function. That was my first takeaway. Instead of somebody looking at me and going, God, she's really unwell. And maybe that's something we need to change the narrative around. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I had, so during the conversations with these professors who wrote this study and um, we can load it up at the website so that people can see a copy of this as well. But I was talking to them about the normalization of drug and alcohol use and, and how we don't tend to offer the support for a problem that, that is driven in part by high demands and, and, and low resources and, and lack of skill, etc. And they said, yeah, but if you look at any high performance industry other than industries like for example sports where you get tested and even still drugs get found they're just different types of drugs they're like you know steroids etc but if you look at banking or the finance sector where you know you're, you're 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 trading or if you look at construction or um any industry that requires you to push beyond your human boundaries what's naturally on average, because everyone's different and everyone's resilience levels, but if you start to look at different industries whereby they start to see the similar pressures, they pointed out to me that actually you see this 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 seeking behavior. And I think that yes, there as going back to what you're saying, yes, there is a um we need to be able to again, I think it's it's the same thing over and over again. We need to know where the support systems are. We need to be able to normalize the conversation and allow that person the space to go, actually, perhaps it's not, perhaps I'm not well. And perhaps I do need help and to know exactly where to go to get that help and to understand that other others have been on that journey before and it's not impossible, I think is important. But I think we also need to, to a lot of that is very sort of reactive and all in the moment. We, we do need to get to the stage where actually we are starting to address the reasons why people are having to use these high performance, high performance um, substitutes in the meantime, both uppers and also at the end of the shift where you know we talk a lot about cocaine or a lot of things like this but actually ultimately it's that alcohol use as well at the end of the night where you can't sleep because your your body and your brain is wired and you're full of adrenaline and you haven't had those regular rest and recovery periods you know so again we need to be pragmatic and looking at actually how do we ensure that our teams aren't doing clopens you know aren't finishing at two o'clock i do morning. not miss a clopen that's for sure <laughs> You know, so there needs to be better awareness of laws and legal parameters as well, because no matter what country you're in, you know, that's not that's not legal. 11 hours between your finish to your open is breaching law. You know, if you don't have stress reduction <laughs> policies in place and like yeah. steps to reduce stress within the workplace, which is one of the leading drivers of burnout and the use of substances. Mm -hmm. Then again, you're breaching the law, <laughs> you know, and these things are things that businesses don't adhere to both inside this sector but outside as well you know this isn't industry specific although it's common you know the, these, mean, these need to be looked at I do think though that hospitality and again I know it is changing in that but hospitality always has felt like the wild west it's always felt above the law I mean it just has and like you said I think even you just explaining that these things are breaches of, of practice of breaches of law 
I know about the 11 hour thing. I'd be interested to know if we walk down, like we're in Bath right now, if I walk down the street in Bath and went to like 10 restaurants and pubs and asked them if they knew that that was law, how many of them would go, yeah, I know, and I make sure I abide by it. <laughs> Most people don't know it's legal. We ask it during our training and people go, what? I didn't what? know. I didn't know. <laughs> Adam's going to go readjust his rotor quickly. <laughs> it's different out here right now. It's different here. You're in Dubai, you're in the, you're, you're, I'm sure they've got different, <laughs> <laughs> different things. But yeah, I mean, I think it is a problem that we, one of the things that you were just saying though, about, we're, obviously we're not unique as an industry, um, as much as we like to think we are. Um, the difference is, you know, I liken this to like the emergency services in terms of the adrenaline, the rush, you know, like it's very, it's hilarious in the one way, well, not as in dark humour, we're talking about, you know, meat and two veg versus saving people's lives. But the it feels that way often in a kitchen. You know, Adam, you'll know this. You know, you've got tickets. You've got people screaming at you. You've got waiters not running the food. It feels like life and death. Um, the NHS um, have got incredible support systems in place for people who are in addiction. Um, and I know this because I know people in the rooms um, who... They have procedures in place. They have support. They have come back to work, you know, um, what's it called, um, interviews and stuff like that. So it's possible, you know, is what I think I'm saying. You know, it's possible to have an industry and, you know, we are creating a problem. And that's what the NHS are saying. We know that we're aware that there's a problem, but we are putting stuff into place. And it's. I think, again, you know, it's one of those, I've, I often say, if I said to a boss, I need Wednesday at four o'clock off because I got therapy and I'm quite out and loud about my, if I've got therapy, mm -hmm. if I, I say to my, I put it in my calendar. I'm like, I'm, I'm at therapy. I had a session yesterday, three o'clock, got therapy. Would I put a message in thing saying at four o'clock I've got an AA meeting? And should we be encouraging that? Is that one of the things that we should be doing, you know, allowing so be, that? Sorry, I'll, I'll be honest. When I when we first when I first started talking about my addiction and all of that, I had family members who were saying, "Are you sure that's the right thing to do?" And you sure? And it's like, and even now, I said that I've got to leave work to come because I'm doing this, and I'm quite open about it. Now I'm quite open about it, but I do that for not because I I want people to feel sorry or and you know worries me. I do it because I want to help people. That's first and foremost. So I think that's, but you're always going to get people to look at it and say, you're a loser or you're a bum or you're a junkie or this, you know what I mean? That's, that's life, but you can't stop. You can't stop being who you are. And I don't think hiding behind that, being honest about it, as you know, Michelle, it's about honesty, right? The, the 12 step programming is about being honest and we have to be honest about it. We do these things. That's what keeps us inside the triangle keeps us on the straight and narrow and that's what we have to do i think so to say that you're doing that is a good thing in my opinion and the other people and employee employers should embrace that and not mm. make you feel that stigma as chris has spoken about there shouldn't be a stigma around it why should why what is why yeah. who has the right to judge you or to do or to say that what people should be open about it 
if they want to be open about it, that's the thing also, is if people want to be open, you can't force somebody. And that's the right thing. You know what I mean? Mm. There is literally no better employee than somebody in recovery, FYI. <laughs> if you ever want, if you want someone to come in on time, be honest. I mean, like, never imagine how imagine how well we'd have done in our careers, Adam, had we been. <laughs> One thing I was proud of is that I, is that I was 99.9% on time, but that's because I hadn't been to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. I know I'm yeah. I know I'm making I know I, I'm trying to make light of it. It's not. It's yeah. very serious. It is very serious. But it, it is. It is. It is. It is quite ridiculous. The shame that that we all have with kind of coming out and saying like, "Yeah, I'm actually in recovery." Where there's actually that's the exact employee you want. You know, on time, <laughs> compass mentors. <laughs> we follow through on things. You know, sure. we trustworthy. <laughs> but I also think it takes, as I've said before, it takes to be honest about it. It takes somebody that's stronger to say actually, this is who I am today. And this is this is what helps me and this is what makes me a better person, which in turn makes you a better employee or a better boss or a better this or a better that. To, 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 to actually stand up and to say that takes a lot of balls, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's true of any mental health condition. <laughs> sure. You know, being, being able, I mean, coming back from that and being able to kind of say, you know, these are the challenges that I've been through and these are the things that I've done that have helped me. And again, it just kind of creates that culture of support and resources rather than shame and stigma. I also think employers should should embrace that because it means that they can help others within the organisation. And, you know, in turn, by helping others, that helps their business or helps 100%. your business. And I think that's that's where the change can become quite dramatic in that respect you know absolutely then other, other people see it you know god forbid it goes on in other in people's restaurants that's not what i'm saying but i'm saying that if you have the knowledge knowledge is power if you have that mm. to help somebody on within their business which in turn helps their business you know i think mm. that's a good thing yeah i mean we shared a figure um 7.3 billion pounds lost um lost because of uh, unproductivity due to alcohol misuse and you know we had some quite fiery comments back you know like well is this about the person or is it about the business and the money and you know effectively that is you know that's what we were saying you know at the end of the day as businesses you can make the decision to pretend it's somebody else's problem and hope that somebody else figures it out and sorts it but if we're not the bottom line is affected you know because you're also playing with people's lives because if you're 100%. quite willing to, if you're, this, there's no illusions that this kills people. And mm. I've seen people over the last 18 months lose their lives because of it. Yeah, That's the reality of where it is. Now, mm. if you're as an employer, you're prepared to employ it, you know, you're prepared to brush it under the carpet and think that it doesn't matter. We need mm. hanging. We need hanging. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the way I see it. I'm quite, I'm yeah. quite, I become quite vocal about that because... I've seen it. I've heard about mm. it. And I think, I think it, yeah, I just, I just find that crazy. Yeah. Maybe that's because I am an addict so, or a recovering addict. So I look at it differently. <laughs> so I suppose, I mean, one of the big things for me is, and we touched upon it, but I'm really keen to, um, just I'm curious really to understand, like if we, if we as caring individuals or as employers, suspect that someone is struggling with uh, addictions 
And we even have the opportunity to have a courageous conversation and say to them, look, we, you know, we've, I think you might, might be struggling and I'd like to offer some help. What do we do in the situation where someone turns around and says, I don't need help. I'm quite okay. Thank you with, with it. Yeah. What, what's, what's the protocol? How do we, um, what's the process that allows us to be able to follow something without emotion, without, um, fear of getting it wrong or right and just allows us mm. to be consistent in our approach so I, so, I've, actually, I've done I was gonna say I'm glad that you I'm glad you asked that Chris I think Adam and I have got the exact answers for you Adam I, I, it was a place I was working and there was a pattern pattern if I could speak properly a pattern performing over a number of months on a Monday and it was getting steadily worse and you could see what it what well for me I understand again through my experiences you could i could see it so it was after days off and it was happening so i again it's you don't go like a bull in a china shop or a sledgehammer you you start you slowly start a conversation this is what i did and i can only speak from my experiences right and i started the conversation and over a period of time he said no 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 it's all good there's nothing wrong <clears throat> then it kept happening and I, so the conversation went on over if I said a five week period and at the end of that conversation, he actually said, he said, you're good at this, aren't you? Because I could see it and I offered to help him. And that was the issue, right? Is that he knew, he knew that I knew, but yet he wasn't ready to surrender at that time until I'd had a conversation, a further conversation about it. And I told him my story because I knew, and that was, that was the catalyst. Ultimately, he he said he wanted help. He didn't want help, and that was the thing, right? And he left soon after that, not because of not because of what we were doing or anything. I offered to give him time off. I offered to to take him to meetings. I offered to do a lot for him, and he but he wasn't ready to surrender. But I think you have to keep if you if you can see that you have to keep chipping away. And I don't know the answer to how those conversations continue or they have, I think you have a gut feeling, right? And I think, as Michelle said, if you're, if you're recovering or you're in the 12-step fellowship or whatever fellowship, as Michelle said, then you have an understanding of that. And I think that's, that's where the training comes in from, from that perspective. You know, and I, I don't know why I get so emotional about it, but that's the way it is for yeah, because it's people's lives and also because you've been that person. We've lived that life, you know. Um, I mean, for me, that there's the theory that only an addict can help an addict, you know. Only someone who's walked in those shoes um, can help another. And I think in a, weird, in a way it's quite prevalent for a lot of people with um, a lot of mental health challenges in as much as that it's about empathy and it's about compassion, isn't it? You know, and that really helps. But I think for me, one of the things that employers can do, I'm not saying to them like, well, that everybody needs to hire, hire somebody who's in recovery. Um, the most important thing is compassion, first off, you know, is lead with that compassion and understanding. Take away as much as you can the anger, the blame, and just have that, you know, we use the word curious. I love that word. Let's have a curious conversation. And for me, if I'd been sat down and immediately been told, your job is safe, it is not about that, but we're concerned and we want this conversation. 
the defenses immediately don't you know because what if someone says oh you want to have it can we have a chat you immediate the defense oh no i'm fine chef fine chef i don't know and i think that's true of any kind of conversation around behaviors and mental health and stuff like that you know um i think a really important thing is evidence i think is going with some evidence you know and again it's not with accusatory evidence but it's like you know look i've noticed that you've started to make a few mistakes you know there was that mistake last Tuesday and it was fine you know we sorted it but that's really not like you what is there something I can should we be doing something different can we you know just really kind of pull it but if you're going in with a bit of evidence as well that kind of means well what you're on about you know and again it's not going in going you you messed up on Tuesday why it's okay <clears throat> you did something that was really out of character on Tuesday is there should we be doing something different as a team or and allowing that space to be open. Well, the, the patterns, were, the patterns were was he was he was coming in late. He was becoming erratic. His yeah, work was yeah. suffering. And it, like you say, you have to have the facts because the facts. You, know, you can't. There's no you can't accuse somebody. That's the worst Absolutely thing. Absolutely not. I think having a really open dialogue about supporting and and resourcing. I mean, in your staff areas, just being having it really open, having a huge poster which I will be producing soon, have a huge poster that says, if you are in trouble, call this number. You know, let's not make it a little, you know, I'm going to slide that number over the table. Change the culture and change it from the top. And I think actually, before we even have these conversations, one of the most powerful things a business owner can do and a leader is look at their own behaviors and relationships. I'm not telling them to stop drinking or using, you know, crack on, but what are you doing in front of your team? What is the culture? What is the acceptance? Where is the line? Because when I was fired by somebody that I had drank with, that blew my mind. I was like, hang on a second. My takeaway from that is, isn't that I'm being fired because of drinking? It's because I'm being fired because I can't drink and handle it the way that everyone else can. So what are you, what is your actual culture in the whole business? And then, do you know what? When instead of us having a culture of acceptance of excess and coming in on a Tuesday and hangover and Whoa, let's all have bacon sandwiches because we were all smashed with the GM last night, suddenly these conversations feel easier. If I mean, easier is probably not the right word, but more natural. And Chris, you're the expert. What do you think? when it comes to these challenging conversations, you know, because it's the same if people are going through a lot of mental health challenges, isn't it? Yeah. Firstly, can I just say, I don't like the term expert. It makes me feel deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> Sorry. You're the the thought leader? What about that? Thought leader? Is that one? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Like, I was just one guy similarly to you put your hands up and started Sorry. putting your head above the parapet and said this ain't, <coughs> this ain't right let's do something about it i'm going to google uh what, what defines an expert later because obviously <laughs> I'm, I'm embroiled in data and chatting about yeah. this on a daily basis so does that what i, I don't know anyway you're but, not um, an expert you are heavily experienced in providing training and support to hospitality leaders who are having better. difficult <laughs> that took well significantly <laughs> longer to say <laughs> yeah it does but i feel it's more accurate like you know uh, um i'm lucky i don't i don't i don't experience imposter syndrome but i definitely get uncomfortable with expert but um <laughs> couldn't be less of an expert listeners <laughs> don't go to him if you want an expert opinion he isn't one <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> no, from my from my perspective, I think you're right. You know, make sure that you do have a consistent approach. Like Adam, mm. you, you had a consistent approach with your example. And, you know, it might be that people aren't immediately ready to say, I have an addiction problem or I have problems with my finances or I have mental health issue they might not just be ready for that stage whether that's to do with personal experience whether that's to do with culture or the way they were brought up it might just not be something that has even come come easy but knowing that your approach and your consistency of your approach is key I think um leading from example Michelle you made a great point is what is your relationship like with these these products if you are a recreational drug user and you can drink then absolutely fine but i think the very definition of an addict is that actually when it becomes a need in order to be able to function and if that if that's the case then perhaps use your experience you know take take courage in the fact that if you start this process yourself you might be able to help another 10 people who'll be struggling with this and you know we often say when we're looking at strategies in terms of being able to get engagement from teams it has to start at the top and if it's not starting at the ceo of the company then it's not dead in the water but it it takes it's a lot lot harder it's a lot harder um knowing where to look for those signposting so you've mentioned posters um we have just designed a whole bank of posters for people to download free for a year and so i think a nice collaborative poster specifically around drug and alcohol um, addiction or any addiction for that matter let's be honest yeah. you know if, if if you're bitten by addiction you know it doesn't sound as um as uh um heavy perhaps as as drugs or alcohol but when vapes first came out i could oh, not stop goodness. vaping i i went from being a non-smoker to a like almost vape every two days and i was becoming seriously seriously unwell like my respiratory system was knackered i'm not one of these people who could naturally just get on go with it my, i had a first my asthma attack in like 17 18 years i knew it wasn't great for me but i couldn't stop so i i get you know i get addiction and being able to be able to have someone you can speak to because the first thing you say when you you know you're, you're puffing on these little uh, pretty colored thingies that smells like tutti fruity or whatever it is someone goes oh for fuck's sake you're addicted to that oh you you know oh jesus christ like and yeah. immediately you're shamed right mm. so to be able to have resources where you can go look it sounds a bit weird but i'm addicted to brushing my teeth or something whatever it might be no matter how trivial it may seem to you to have a resource or a number you can call and that could be the burnt chef support service it could be an internal eap scheme it can be use of peer support networks which you know our ambassadors such as yourself michelle and adam i know that you previously have spoken to people who've struggled with with their addictions and and you both do quite outwardly now so knowing where to look and being able to use those resources and being able to share your experiences of using those resources i think is key and knowing that it might not be today it might not be tomorrow it might not be this year but at some stage something of that process will hit at the right point for someone and that's what will make the the difference that will start them on their journey and then all of a sudden that then is then paid on and paid on and paid on so that that's from from my experience what i what i would suggest but it, yeah. I, I definitely do. I find personally, I find this more of a challenging subject um, than than other subjects purely because it does require that 
it can't be a one-sided thing and and, and adam as your your experience and your your example showed is you can be consistent with your approach and ultimately that person can either decide to take your hand and and follow you into into support or they feel that the pressure to get to the support is too much and and they don't feel it's the right time as they leave so know that you can't save everyone but ultimately just one person one person yeah if you can save one that's 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 a so much more than not at all man absolutely and i think that's it i think it's our responsibility to start creating environments where abnormal that kind of behavior is abnormal opposed to normal and let's stop allowing that to be the norm because that is very much something that we've all experienced and um and yeah i think that i think like you said it's it's something it's not businesses have got a decision here it's not going anywhere it, the devastating menace of substance abuse of alcoholism of vaping of caffeine addiction you know we're run on stimulants our whole industry and it ain't going anywhere so you guys we've got a decision right now we can either pretend it's not happening and continue to lose incredible employees day in and day out whether it's to other industries whether it's to you know uh, stress burnout whether it's to death you know that's what we're talking or we can go, this ain't going anywhere. So what is my part in making it change? And um, and if businesses or when businesses decide to make that decision, um, get in touch. Because with myself, with the Burnt Chef Project, work with Adam, all three of us are making sure that uh, we're part of the change that needs to happen. Um, gentlemen, I could talk to you for many more hours, but I shan't because you have busy busy lives adam has a kitchen to get back to and uh chris needs to google what the term expert is so <laughs> we've all got busy <laughs> any parting words from you sirs just very grateful to be able to have a voice to uh share experiences to give people strength and hope i think that's the most important thing so i'm very grateful for that for sure thank you so much i'm very grateful for you too Anything from you, sir, Chris? Don't call me sir. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, for me, I don't know. I, I, this is a marathon, not a sprint. It's, it's, it's going to take time. And it's very, very easy for us to say, oh, we can do it next week or it's someone else's problem. But if you're listening to this now and you feel even the, the tiniest little bit inspired or you're curious to learn more, you know, there there's free resources that we offer as the Burn Chef Project on our e-learning. There's free support systems as well. Michelle and Adam are fantastic advocates for this. They can share their own experiences. Um, you know, being hospitality veterans in the trade is also experiencing their own struggles. So reach out, ask. You know, there's no no one's ever going to say to you, "What a fucking stupid question." We're going to say, "Okay, cool. Let, let's see if we can help." Um, and just. Oh, it sounds so cliche, even when it just popped into my head, but be the change you want to see. You know, it's it's true. Like, let's start living the industry that we want to see and believe, and it will become a lot easier when there's multiple people pushing this ball up the hill. God, yeah. The true power in the ripple effect, there really is. And, you know, it, it just takes it takes 
those tiny changes for big things to happen. Um, thank you both so, so, so much for um, joining you. us today um, and for being so open and honest. And I know for a fact that this conversation will have resonated with people. And um, if anybody wants to get in touch, you have got the Burnt Chef website. You've also got uh, WeRecoverLoudly.com, which has got links to the Burnt Chef, as well as links to other organisations. And um, by the end of November, we will be starting our own online peer-to-peer meetings so that people who are in the industry who want to kind of get a little bit of support in a safe and um, contained environment online and so make sure you're following we recover loudly on socials for a little bit more detail about when those do launch thank you so much guys thank you well done good work Big, big shine of shine of the old halos for both of you and um and i will uh, see you both i'm sure very soon thank you thank you so much see you later